0: Let's turn now to Jeremiah 31 for our Old Testament reading. Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 25. Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 25. This is the very Word of God. At the same time, says the Lord... I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines in the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchmen will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, And say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping. And with supplications, I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd. Their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me, and I will return, for you are the Lord my God. Surely, after my turning, I repented, and after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up signposts. Make landmarks. Set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel. Turn back to these your cities. How long will you go about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. They shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in its cities when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together, farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. And our New Testament text Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 through 30. Matthew 11:25 through 30. At that time Jesus answered and said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray now and bless uh, that He might bless it to us. Father, we pray that you would now fill our hungry souls with good things, with the good things of the gospel, with the very substance of Christ himself. We might feed on him, look to him by faith, and receive him and rest on him alone for salvation. Build us up, we pray, in faith in Christ, according to your word, by your almighty power through your spirit. Amen. Last Lord's Day morning, we looked at how many in Israel, even John the Baptist, were beginning to look at Jesus and question Him or doubt Him or just outright reject Him altogether um, because He wasn't the Savior that they thought they needed. They were convinced of a certain kind of Savior that would meet their needs, fix their problems, tackle their agenda. Jesus was not the one. At least that's what some of them are starting to, to, to think. And, and we said last Lord's Day that, that it wasn't just that generation looking at Jesus and saying, well, he's not meeting this need or that need. He's not the Savior I wanted for this or that. But it's our generation too. It's us as well. We all do this to one degree or another. We, we doubt something about Jesus and his sufficiency for us. And we look for another Savior in addition to him or instead of him to be the one who will save us. We want a Savior who perhaps makes it easy here and now. We want a Savior who will solve our political problems, or our family problems, or our financial problems, or our health problems. But also, as we saw last week, Jesus is exactly the Savior He was supposed to be, uh, exactly the Savior promised in the Old Testament. And exactly the Savior who, 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 who meets every deepest need of our hearts. He, he really does meet the needs that we have. The real, true, deep needs that we have. There could not be a more perfect or more sufficient Christ than our Lord Jesus. The trouble is, because of our sin, we, we shut our eyes to Him. And we cover up our ears and refuse to listen to Him. We are blind to what our real needs are and blind to how sufficient He is to meet them. And if we're blind and deaf to Him, we're going to be blind and deaf to the salvation He offers, and we'll have no place in His kingdom. And we'll just receive judgment from Him. We won't find the rest that we were made for. Our hearts will remain hardened and exhausted and burned out and sinful and rebellious and under His judgment and far from His kingdom. So as chapter 11 of Matthew comes to an end. The burning question, it's not just a theological question, it's also a burning practical question, is is this. How are sinners able to see Jesus and to see that He is exactly the Christ that they need? How are we able to hear His Word and put our faith in Him and trust in Him and find that rest that He is promising here in this text? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Here he tells us that he himself reveals himself to us. He himself reveals God to us. He himself reveals his kingdom to us. And he himself does it all as he calls us to himself. Here's our first point this morning. The Father, through the Son, can reveal himself to us and give us a place in his heavenly kingdom. Only the Father, through the Son, can reveal himself to us and give us a place in his heavenly kingdom. Verse 25, Jesus prays out loud for everyone to hear. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes, children, little infants. Jesus' words here are at the same time both surprising to us, I think, and predictable. Um, he, he first of all says that the Father has hidden these things. Hidden these things. These things refers to the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the truth about who Jesus is. It's surprising, isn't it? God has hidden these things. What was God's goal in sending Christ? Wasn't it to reveal his gospel? Reveal His glory, right? Shine a, shine, shine a spotlight. But Jesus says, "I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things." Why would God do this? Why would He hide what He sent to make His gospel clear, bright? Why would He hide these things of the kingdom? Why would God make hard hearts harder? Why would God make deaf ears deafer and blind eyes blinder? It's His judgment and unbelief. It's how He judges sin. Remember, Jesus' end-time kingdom. We've talked about this before. It brings salvation, but it also comes through judgment. And uh, part of that judgment is to harden hard hearts. This is... What God called Isaiah to do in Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 10. And he said, go say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God sent Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, to make hard hearts harder as an act of judgment on, their, on Israel's continual unbelief. He's, he was giving them over. You want your sin? Okay, have it. Go ahead. Making their hard hearts harder. Paul talks about this same thing in Romans chapter 1. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. He says it three times. God gives sinners over. Gives them up to their sin. His judgment on sin often is to give you over more fully to it. So if you are closing your eyes to Christ, putting your hands over your ears so you don't hear His gospel, they might just get stuck there. He he might hand you over to that and, and, and make you even more hardened against Him. Is this just? Is it just for God to harden hearts? It is. First of all, He's God. He is justice itself. Of course, we are not those who can question Him. He is the Creator, and we are the creature. Second of all, it's not as though God is, 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 is hardening people who really want to come to Him. He's, he's not hardening repentant people. God is is hardening people who who are not morally neutral or basically good, but people who are rebellious against Him, who have already set themselves to harden their own hearts against Him, who've spurned His love, trampled on His grace, and who live every moment in rebellion against Him. We see this confirmed by whose hearts Jesus says here in the text, in verse 25, that God is hardening. He says, uh, it's the wise and the prudent, those who are wise in their own eyes, uh, those who are proud that they understand things, confident in their own smarts and their own intelligence, those are the ones that God will, that God will keep their eyes closed by their pride, and they won't see Jesus. There's a strong warning for us here in these words. Scriptures warn us elsewhere the same thing. Never be wise. Never be wise in your own eyes. Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't think you are wise and prudent and have it together. And right, The, the Scriptures say over and over, it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom and understanding. You've got to start there, trembling before God in awe of Him and who He is and, 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 and how, how puny you are before Him. Not puffed up with pride. If you are, you won't see Christ. You won't see Christ, clearly. If you're relying on your own wisdom, pride will cauterize your heart, blind your eyes, make deaf your ears. So Jesus says, I thank You, Father, for Your judgment on these wicked, unbelieving, prideful, proud people here. But then he also thanks God for revealing his salvation. Not only is God at work in judgment to harden already hard hearts, but he's also at work here graciously. He thanks God that he has revealed his salvation to those who are like little children. What does he mean? He doesn't mean we shouldn't be thoughtful and shouldn't think hard about things. Uh, there's, he does, he's not anti-intellectual. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians fourteen forty, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants and evil, but in your thinking be mature. So Jesus is not saying, you know, don't, don't study and think and, and, and be thoughtful. What, what does he mean when he says here that God graciously chooses to reveal this kingdom to those who are like little children? What is it about children he has in mind? What what's what's most basic about little children? Picture, picture a little infant, newborn. Neediness. Right? Dependence. Uh, not, not a sense of self-sufficiency. You've never met a self-sufficient newborn, right? They, they know they need their mother. They need their father. Can't eat. Can't, can't, can't even go to sleep on their own. They need a parent. And that is a newborn baby's deepest instinct. He doesn't apologize for it. He just knows he's needy, and he cries out to have that need filled. Jesus, I think, is talking about this. That dependence, that neediness, that that being a beggar is what he's describing here. That this is the one to whom God reveals his kingdom. The person who cries out to God with a deep sense of, of, of his own need and a confidence in God's grace. To meet that need, we've heard this over and over in Jesus' teaching, haven't we? The first words out of his mouth in the Sermon on the Mount Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritual beggars, the needy, the desperately needy, for me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, How much do you need God and His grace? Do you cry out for Him like a newborn crying for his mother? Do you you want God and His grace and feel your need for Him and His grace like that? Are you dependent on Him like that? That's what we're called to. You won't see His glory and His goodness and His gospel if you don't have that neediness for him. That childlike faith, right? Not self-sufficiency. Not not a sense of your own ability and competence and wisdom, but, but a sense of how much you need his grace. Plead for his grace. Plead for his mercy, and he will give it graciously and gladly. He will reveal the kingdom to you and the gospel to you. It's his good pleasure to How will he do this? How how does God then give this kingdom to the needy? We see this next in Jesus' words in verse 27. He says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus is saying here that uh, his Father has given him the task of establishing the kingdom of heaven, revealing God to man, No one else can can reveal God to man. Only the Father knows the Son. Only the Son knows the Father. Jesus is pulling back the veil, giving us a glimpse of the mystery of the Trinity. That the Son and the Father know each other perfectly. There is nothing about one another they do not know. They each infinitely know the infinity of the other. We can't know God like that. Can't wrap our tiny little minds around His infinitude. But they know each other. And so Jesus is perfectly fitted to reveal God to us. Reveal Him in the gospel of His kingdom. This is how God reveals His kingdom. It's through Jesus Christ. And therefore, Jesus is saying here to us that if, if uh, our, our, our uh, whether or not we see the kingdom depends on Jesus. And if He reveals it to us, Because if He won't reveal it to us, we'll never see it. It's only if He chooses to reveal it to us that we will see the kingdom and receive it by faith. This is one of the clearest statements of God's sovereignty over human salvation in the whole Bible. Jesus says so clearly here, no sinner has the ability to choose Christ and choose His kingdom. Only Jesus Christ can choose a sinner and open his heart to receive the kingdom. We are not drowning in the ocean of sin. We're dead on the bottom of the ocean floor. And unless Jesus Christ dives all the way down to the bottom and hauls us up and resurrects us, we are never going to choose him or his kingdom. That's how our salvation works. We're saved by his grace and all of his grace. And He chose, chose us, He chooses whom He will, not because of our righteousness or goodness or any merits in us, but because of His love and His grace according to His good pleasure. Why is Jesus telling us this here? What's the point? He's, again, he's, he's, he's building this case for our complete dependence on the grace of God. His kingdom is for the poor in spirit who were so poor they could not even choose to come on their own. His kingdom is for those with childlike dependent faith who know that even that childlike dependent faith didn't come from themselves but from the gracious, sovereign work of God. We don't take credit even for our beggar status. It's only from the grace of God that we become like little children who are able to... To see His kingdom. Now that that wrecks our pride. It crushes our self-sufficiency. Humbles us. And leaves us feeling all the more dependent on Him. The only reason we're here is because of His sovereign grace. It's a miracle of His mercy that you trust Him. Nothing that we ourselves do. Only the Father, through the Son, can reveal Himself to us. And give us a place in his heavenly kingdom. So what are we supposed to do then? If that's true, what are we supposed to do? That's what we see next in the text. Jesus goes on and he says, come to me. He's just said, only I can choose who will receive the gospel. It's all up to the sovereign power of God. So come. Some people see a, a great... Conflict between those two ideas. The God of sovereign grace, He chooses, He elects, nothing in us, we can't even choose to believe. That should strangle evangelism, right? Not according to Jesus. He's giving it as the foundation for evangelism. His gospel call is rooted in the sovereignty of His grace. So He says, come to Me. Our second point this morning, come to Jesus. And find heavenly rest in His kingdom. It's, it's because Jesus is sovereign over who comes to His kingdom that He is able to extend this gospel call to everyone. Because of what He's just said about his, his, his sovereignty over salvation, that He can say, come to me. If He weren't sovereign, He could stand there saying, come to me all day, and no one would come. It's only because of His sovereign grace. That He can say, come to me. And then He can choose those who will come to Him in response to that call. Jesus' words here in, in these next verses, 28-30, um, through 30 are hugely significant. Jesus is, is, is calling sinners to Himself. He's calling sufferers to Himself. He's proclaiming that He Himself is the Christ. He Himself is the Gospel. He, he is the heart of the Kingdom of Heaven. He's calling us to put our faith and rest it rest entirely in Him. Um, uh, there's there's so much here in these words uh, that I, what I'm going to do is is uh, take most of what Jesus is about to say and save it for next week, and finish out this morning with with one point from Jesus' words here as He closes. What we're going to look at right now is is who Jesus calls. Here he is. He's just said, you come, to the, you come into my kingdom when I choose you by my sovereign grace, as I reveal God and his glory to you. Now come to me, and we're going to look at who are, the, who are the people that he calls to himself. We already saw in verse 25, Jesus says that it's God's good pleasure to reveal the kingdom to those who are like children. Needy, dependent, not self-sufficient. Right? And, and he continues on that same theme here as he calls men to himself. He doesn't call those who think they've got it together. He calls those who labor and are heavy laden. What, who does he have in mind? I think four, four things to, to note. Four, four, four types of people that Jesus has in mind as he is calling those who labor and are heavy laden. To himself. First, I think Jesus is calling those who feel like they have to muscle their way into the kingdom of heaven by their own good works. He says come to me all you who labor all you who are doing exhausting, strenuous hard work to earn God's favor. You don't feel the smile of God? like the warmth of the sun on your face, you feel a cold, impassive stare from a judge who's waiting for you to prove your innocence. Watching every movement to see if you're going to be innocent or guilty. Jesus says, come to Me, those who labor like that. Those for whom the law is just a, a duty, not a delight. Um, um, Who look at you? You look at your relationship with God like it's a like it's an an exchange, right? If you work hard enough, He'll give you a a decent paycheck, brothers and sisters. That is an exhausting way to live. Um, It's an impossible task, isn't it? After the fall into sin, after we've fallen into sin and become sinful, there's no way we can earn the favor of God. We cannot earn His favor. We cannot earn His love or eternal life. From the very beginning, we were conceived in our mother's wombs as sinners to our core, right down to our spiritual bones. There's nothing we can do to fix that. And trying to, on our own, will utterly exhaust us. Jesus says, don't labor like that, slaving away, trying to earn the smile of God. Come. Come. Like a beggar, hands out, right? Pleading for his grace. Jesus did not come to earth to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for us. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinners, all the way down from heaven for helpless sinners. So be still, trust his grace and the forgiveness of sins that he gives. Second, here, Jesus is calling those who feel the crushing weight of guilt before the law of God. He says here, uh, all who labor and are heavy laden. Um, I don't know about you. Laden is not a word I use a lot. Uh, I was trying to think. Wh- what's the image here? Um, what's, what's, the, what's, what's the picture? It means to be burdened. When I was a kid, my parents had a, the illustrated edition of Pilgrim's Progress called Dangerous Journey. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's got really... Um, really interesting illustrations. And as a kid, I was, in, I was, I was really uh, quite impressed with these illustrations. They're a little bit strange sometimes, a little bit um, almost, uh, at least as a child, they seemed a little scary. Um, but they've stuck in my mind ever since. And I remember uh, the picture of Christian with his burden on his back in those illustrations. And it's this massive, monstrous thing lashed onto his back. It's way bigger than he is, and he's crushed down beneath this huge, dark burden. And I think that's, that's the image here. Those who are burdened by the guilt of their sin. Those who are haunted and burdened by, by sinful selfish habits, right? Those who are burdened by by guilt. Think think of your sin, the burden that it has been or is to you, right? The burden of, of, of lust, anger, pride, greed, covetousness, the things you should have said, the things you didn't say, all those sins from our past and present that pile up on us and bear us down under their burden. And we can't do anything about it. Jesus is saying, I'm talking to you under that burden of sin. You come. Bring me the burden. You can't get rid of it. I'll take care of it. He, he's, Jesus is not embarrassed by our sin and by our guilt. He's not, he, he's not, um, he knows every nook and cranny of your sinful heart. Bring it to Him. He'll forgive every single sin clear away every, every last shred of guilt and give you the freedom of forgiveness of sins. The third thing here, Jesus is calling those who feel the stranglehold of sin. Um, he's calling those not only under sin's burden, but also those who feel like they're under sin's power, compelled to sin by uh, uh, like, like a slave master that they cannot be freed from. Um. We, we sometimes think, well, I've got, this, I've got this sin. I've got this sinful habit. And I, I can't be free of it. I'm going to work hard in it. I'm going to fix it. And then I'll come to Jesus. Then I'll approach Him. Then I'll pray to Him. Then I'll, then I'll, then I'll come near to Him again. Um, now, it is true that we have to be fighting our sin, mortifying the flesh, uh, uh, living, living lives of repentance. Um, saving faith is always obedient faith. Uh, but... What do we do when we fail in sin? And what do we do with those sinful habits? Jesus says, don't try to work it out yourself. Come to me. There's a poem uh, called The Hymn to God My Father written by a 17th century poet named John Donne, which talks about this. He says this, Wilt thou forgive that sin where I begun, which was my sin, though it were done before? Wilt thou forgive that sin through which I run and do run still, though still I do deplore. When thou hast done, thou hast not done. For I have more. John, John Donne is saying, I've got the same old sin. I repented of it last week and here I am in it again this week. Can I still come to Jesus? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden wrestling with the same old sins. Come to me again, and again, and again. His grace is an infinite ocean, and you cannot empty it. And then fourthly, here, Jesus calls those who feel brokenhearted from suffering. He's calling those who feel uh, the, the weight of guilt. He's calling those who feel like they have to slave away for a place in his kingdom. He's calling those who feel um, like they are under the slavery of the power of sin. He's also calling those who are suffering and broken hearted. Um, he comes for sinners and sufferers, doesn't he? Um, he, is, he, is, he is calling those who feel burned out and frustrated and anxious and tired. Um, Jesus didn't just come for sinners. We have seen him preach the gospel over and over already in Matthew. We've also seen him live out the gospel, proclaim the gospel with his miracles. And we've seen not only him forgiving sins, but also healing the sick, restoring life. Think back to that passage in Matthew where Jesus walks into that house where the little girl has died. And the little girl's mother and father are there, and their their daughter is dead. And then Jesus comes in and He goes over He says, little girl, get up. And she gets up like she was just being woken up from a nap. right? And, and that's what Jesus does. Every 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 time that He comes into a situation in the Gospels, he's bringing, uh, he's bringing the salvation of God there. And you see all this sickness and disease and death. And He comes and He heals it with a word or with a touch of His hand. And then He says, now, 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 Come to me, all who are are exhausted by this frustrating, fallen world and the suffering that is plaguing it. Don't take your sorrow elsewhere. Come to me, and I'll bring healing. I'll bring you encouragement, comfort, and, and, and rest. Final rest. Eternal rest. Not just a temporary solution, but an eternal salvation. He came for the weak brothers and sisters. He came for the sufferer. And this is the one that He will reveal His kingdom to, those who have this desperate need for Him. So don't bring Jesus your resume. Bring Him your sinful self, your broken self. He calls you to come to Him with wide open arms. Let me close with the words of an old hymn. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity Love and power come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost, and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, for the gospel of grace in our Lord Jesus Christ and the all-sufficient Savior that He is. May we not stand far back from Him, but run to Him in faith that he is the savior sufficient for all our needs show us to him lord as the, show, show him to us as, as he is as the one who is able to forgive sins grant righteousness work new life and save to the uttermost we pray this in his precious name amen